I'm the Reverend Maria McCabe. My preferred pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I can't tell you how deeply glad I am to be here with all of you this morning in the midst of this season of so many things, the season of all this season of miracles, the season of coming closer and closer and even touching the mystery that we don't always take time to reach. I'd like to call us into the spirit of worship with a uh, reading from the great uh, Howard Thurman. Dr. Thurman founded the first interracial, interdenominational church in this country and was the spiritual director for Dr. Martin Luther King. And this reading is from a book that has been rocking my world called The, the Mood of Christmas, and it's called The Singing of Angels. There must always be remaining in every person's life some place for the singing of angels. Some place for that which in itself is breathlessly beautiful and by an inherent prerogative throwing all the rest of life into new and created relatedness. Something that gathers up in itself all freshets of experience from drab and commonplace areas of living and glows in one bright light of penetrating beauty and meaning and then passes. The commonplace is shot through now with new glory. Old burdens become lighter, deep and ancient wounds lose much of their old, old hurting. A crown is placed over our heads that for the rest of our lives we are trying to grow tall enough to wear. Despite all of the crassness of life, despite all of the hardness of life, despite of all the harsh discords of life, life is saved by the singing of angels. Our reading is Because We Are Finite by Reverend David Usher. Because we are finite, we lift up our eyes to the infinite sky, and we feel wonder and awe. Because we have stumbled, and we take the tender hand which beckons us to rise and feel strength and reassurance. Because we are lonely, we reach out to those around us and feel warmth and acceptance. Because we are human, we do all these things and in our worship feel the presence of the divine. I want to share a story with you written by a, a colleague of mine in the years when she was a mother of young children, and it's called Bathing in Starlight. It was the end of a hectic day and the start of the kind of evening familiar to anyone who's juggling work and young children. <coughs> Time is the enemy, 
relentlessly streaming past, leaving in its wake an endless clutter of unfinished tasks. Like a flustered hen in a barnyard, I clucked and fretted. As I hustled my children along through homework, dinner, bath time, and bedtime stories, always trying to get things to move a little bit faster. With the kids finally in bed a half hour later than I'd aimed for, I fussed my way out the door to give the dog her walk, bustling along as my fretful mind danced through a dozen other still unfinished chores. I was halfway down the driveway before I glanced up. My jaw dropped. There before me, the whole spread of the Milky Way splintered out across the clear black sky. Stars behind stars in the deep pool of space. And then I finally stood still. Washed in starlight that had been traveling toward me for millions of years, I was brought to my senses. Very nearly brought to my knees. Because bedtime had, had, had been late, my children were still awake. And to their delighted surprise, the mother hen reappeared in their bedroom doorways, no longer clucking, and carried them one at a time, pajamas and all, out into the crisp winter air to bathe in that cosmic light. Maybe this is all we can bear of the cosmic perspective on time. This little glimpse of eternity that lets us see our small lives connected to everything else on so massive a scale. My awe at the immensity revealed in a clear night sky doesn't leave me feeling diminished or even irrelevant. Instead, it reminds me that we can be present exactly in the moment we are living. We can step out of time together. We live immersed in that eternity after all. We just forget until something like starlight wakes us up to it again. There are many things that wake us up to eternity. Starlight is one of them. Journeying with people through loss and grief. Journeying with people through the transitions in their lives. And that transition into the greatest mystery of all. Reawakens us, not just to eternity, but to that sense of wonder. to that sense of the mystery, that space that we really can't ever find all of the answers to and that we can't control. And it's there. You know, it's there all the time as 
the Reverend Kathleen, Kathleen McTeed says, it's there all the time, right beyond our reach, but we, at least me, I won't speak for all of you, I, I don't always reach out to touch it. I have too much to do, right? <laughs> all of which, all of those to-do lists, all of those things we were fighting about, all of those things that seemed so important, 20 seconds ago, I can barely remember right now. I remember feeling very much as, as the writer of that story feels, and feeling slightly guilty because I just wanted them to be in bed so I could take a breath. On one side, oh, what a bad mother you are. And on the other side, will it ever end? Will they ever go to sleep? I'm sorry, you're an adult now. You can handle it. <laughs> I may pay for that remark a little later, but hey, what else is new? And yet, and yet, there were those nights when we lay out outside long past bed bedtime in the, in the summer night, watching the bats coming out to hunt. I thought it was a teeny bit creepy, but really cool. Or the fireflies, or the fireflies. What happens in these moments of, of awe, some people call them peak experiences or ecstatic experiences, what happens in these moments as has been described much better than I can, is that we get taken away. Suddenly, we get taken away. These barriers that we walk around with all the time, these barriers that keep us in our, again, I'll speak for myself, the barriers that keep me in that, okay, my to-do list and the things I'm worried about and the things that aren't going to happen and did this and did I order the da, da, you know, da, 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 et cetera, that chattering. Those barriers that can keep me separate, not only from the people I love, but from all of my human siblings and this beautiful home planet we have. And I can stay separate until that moment, that breathtaking moment, that beauty or that singing of angels that Dr. Thurman writes about, that singing of angels calls me back. And the barriers disappear. And love returns. Now, I know you'll believe this. I didn't, but I do now. There are people who study these things, people who study awe and wonder. And they have the breathtakingly obvious conclusion that awe and wonder is good for us. Oh, are good for us, if they're two different things. They're good for us. Well, you and I know that, right? It's good to experience that incredible sense of being in the presence of something larger than we are whatever we want to call it, something that is bigger. In our faith tradition, we call it the interdependent web of all existence. Or we call it God. 
or we call it something else. But the scientists who have studied this have found something else that happens. And that is that when we have an experience like this, like the mother in the story, like myself as a mother to my children, we want to do good. We do what is called pro-social behavior. We, our hearts are opened and we want to help. The barriers are down. We want to reach across and be with one another. We want to share that pleasure, that joy, or that grief. When it comes right down to it, when it comes right down to it, those two things, the awe and the wonder on the one side and the yearning to do good, these two things are at the heart, I believe, of every religious tradition that has ever existed. Now, we get it wrong because we make institutions and we make rules and we, God help us, screw it up pretty much every single time. And yet, that's why you and I are here today. That's why you and I are here today. And as you and I share this time together this morning and as we reflect on what has been lost and who has been lost and who we are grieving for, we are shaped by our own religious ancestors. In the early 19th century, the transcendentalists, you know, you hear the name, they were all about transcendent experiences, experiences of connecting to something bigger than we are, experiences of connecting to, of leaning into the mystery. The transcendentalist it actually was a movement that was formed by Unitarians. Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, left the Unitarian ministry. I forget how old he was, but he was very young in his very early 20s, left the Unitarian ministry because he found the transcendent in nature. But he spent the, he didn't, he didn't stop being a Unitarian. He spent the rest of his life reading and writing and teaching about this new philosophy of religion. But the thing about the transcendentalists is that they also connected those two things I was talking about a minute ago. They connected this feeling, this experience, and they connected this with doing good. Bronson Alcott, the father of Louisa May Alcott, was a reformer in education. He believed, as we believe, that punishment, punishment especially of children, was cruel and ineffective. God bless him. And so he worked his entire life, I hate to say it, not super successfully, but he tried. <laughs> he tried his whole life to reform the educational system. Fun fact, he became a vegan at the end of his life. That's how strongly he felt about cruelty. 
and doing everything he could. Theodore Parker, you, many of you may have heard of him, a, a powerful preacher by all accounts in the early 19th century, was one of many transcendentalists who fought for abolition of chattel slavery. He's the one who wrote his sermons with a pistol in his drawer. Don't worry, I don't do that. If I did, no, never mind. We won't, we, we won't go there today or ever. Um, because he did, as part of his practice, he did harbor fugitives, those who were fleeing slavery, and he wanted to be prepared in case the authorities came to, you know, came to take them away. You and I, as we sit here this morning, are carrying that legacy and are carrying those impulses, whether we know it, whether we know it or not. Beloved, this is a time of year where there are many celebrations, many holidays, holy days. And I'm going to invite us right now to see and understand those holy days as invitations to experience awe. Not invitations to believe what you don't want to believe. I'm, I'm focusing on the experience. And to understand that these ancient stories, because most of them are very ancient stories, these are stories that are, I believe, an attempt to try to describe The story of a child born to an unmarried mother far from home in a humble place. A child whose birth, according to the story, signaled such a glowing light of hope that the star could be seen around the world. prompting wise men to find the most precious gifts they could identify and bring them to this child. Born to a woman who might have incurred horrendous and severe consequences for bearing such a child out of wedlock in the ancient world. She's maybe the most unlikely heroine. Today she'd be in a ice-cold detention center. She might have been stoned to death. She might have been sold into prostitution. And yet in the story, hope was reborn with her giving birth to this child. The hope we want, the connection we seek, the fulfillment, the love that we want in our lives does not come from our governments, does not come for, from our leaders, certainly not our political leaders, certainly not this bunch, the stories tell us that this, this hope comes from our own being with one another, 
and from perhaps the humblest places, the humblest places in our world. A week from today begins the celebration of Hanukkah, the time when the lamp oil of which there was only enough for one day, lasted for eight days, long enough for the priests to create enough holy oil to keep the lamp burning in the consecrated, reconsecrated temple. A temple that had been desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. Again, the light of hope Miracles, I don't know that many of us ever have or ever even now necessarily believe in the literal miracle stories. I'm just going to say to you today, let's pretend that a miracle is an invitation. It's an invitation to remain open-hearted when the fireflies come, the phone call comes, for the moment we're going to be called on to love the living hell out of one another. May it be so. Ashe and Amen.